Well, good morning. How are you? Good. Let's try that again. How are you? Good. Good. My name is Katie. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, hello. Happy Sunday and actually happy Super Bowl Sunday, right? We have to, we have to mention it. Are y'all ready to watch Taylor Swift watch the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> okay, let's do it. Who is rooting for the Chiefs? Okay, more than first service. There was literally none. Um, Who's rooting for the 49ers then? Yeah, okay. Man, a strong 49ers crowd. I am with you. I'm rooting for the 49ers. And um, I am not necessarily one who picks a team because I think they should win. They deserve to win. Uh, I tend to pick random reasons why I want a team to win, right? Maybe it's the uniform. Maybe it's because my husband wants them to win or doesn't want them to win, depending on if I'm feeling spicy. Um, But... This year, I am picking the 49ers because Christian McCaffrey is Ed McCaffrey's son. Ed McCaffrey, a former Bronco, right? Um, one day in 2004, 2005, I was at Foothills Fashion Mall. You guys remember it, right? The good old days. It was a little more ghetto, um, but it was a little more fun too. Like I had some great times at Foothills Fashion Mall before it was redone. And um, I was in American Eagle with my family and I saw Ed McCaffrey walk by. And as a 14, 15 year old girl, I said to my dad, I think I just saw Ed McCaffrey walk by and he went and checked and sure enough, it was. And so I was proud of myself. I think my dad was proud of me as a 14 year old girl. And so I want the 49ers to win. That's why, because I saw Ed McCaffrey in the mall one time. <laughs> so it's, it'll hopefully be a good game, right? Um, but We are entering into this series called Love and Money. Austin opened it up really wonderfully last week, talking about that it really is a heart issue when we talk about money. He said, we're not after your money, but God is after your heart. And so I think he did a great job just setting that up, setting some ground rules. He suggested maybe going through your transactions over the week and looking at, am I worshiping something other than God with my money? And so that was last week. This week, we're going to be talking about the reason we have money at all, the reason we have resources, and that is, my sermon in a sentence, is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. So if you've been around church much, excuse me, okay, I had a really salty soup last night and uh, my mouth is dry. (laughs) That's too much information, but um, if if you have um, been around church much, you know that that phrase should draw you back to Abraham. And God is telling Abraham, I will make you a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing so that you will be a blessing. And so God in this moment is telling Abraham that Jesus is going to come from your family line. That's what he's hinting at here, that Jesus, the savior of the world, is going to be one of your descendants. What an honor, right? But what also came in this moment was this beginning of a custom, this inauguration of a father passing on a birthright and a blessing to an heir. And so this became a very significant custom in Israel's culture. 
And so what is a birthright and a blessing? This idea of a birthright refers to the, first, the right of the firstborn son in a family to inherit his father's possession and authority when his father died. And so all of the sons received some portion of their father's property, but the firstborn son with the birthright received a double portion. He received double the amount than any other son, and he became the leader of the family. He became the head of the household. And it was understood that the son would be carrying more responsibility of the family. And so that's why he needed the double portion, because it takes money to provide for the family. And so, yes, there was this responsibility to rewrite the old Spider-Man quote, right? With great blessing comes great responsibility. And with great responsibility comes great blessing. And so, yes, he's becoming the head of the household. It was his job to take care of the rest of the family. And it was this immense honor. It was this coveted position from the other sons. And there was this authority that came with it as well as a blessing, the father on his deathbed would bless that son. He would empower him and give him that authority, pass on this blessing to do what he needed to do, to, to continue on in the family. And so it's this huge moment in the, in the life of a family. Well, today we're going to look at an Old Testament story that's not just going to make us feel better about our family drama or dysfunction that we might have, but it will do that. Um, but it will also give us some do's and don'ts for our resources, for what, how we are to steward our money well. And so if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. It says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so, that, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, if we're honest, this is kind of a weird story, right? There are some pieces of this story that just don't feel good when we, when we think about how it all happened. We've got parents that are kind of favoring children. We've got Jacob who's seemingly being rewarded for taking advantage of his older brother in a moment of desperation. 
Just a couple chapters later, we know that Jacob absolutely just straight up lied to his father to get this blessing. And it feels like God kind of called it from the beginning as he's talking to Rebecca and says, the older will serve the younger. And so we kind of question, is this how God wanted it to play out? There are some things that we can wrestle with in this story, and I think we can clarify some of those, but we do have to just chalk up some of it to we are not God, right? God is God and we are not, and so that's where the faith comes in. But if you're looking for a little extra study on this, we don't have time to go through it. Malachi 1 and Romans 9 both talk about this wrestle of was God good in this situation between Jacob and Esau? But we do not have time for that this morning. We are going to do just a quick flyover of the story and what we need to know. So we've got this competition between twin brothers, right? And maybe this is the first set of twins ever in history. And so I can only imagine what Rebecca is feeling in a moment, not knowing that it's possible to have two babies in your womb. And she's got not just two, but they're, they're warring within her. She's got eight limbs, that are just going crazy. And I imagine that would be a a stressing situation. And so she goes to God and he says, you have two nations in your womb and the older will serve the younger. And really these two children, they're very different from the beginning. We have Esau, he's born um, basically a man-child right? From the moment he's born, he has a better beard than Caden or Taylor combined. (laughs) And and I know that every mother loves the look of their child when they're born, but that's got to be a tough one to just, he was, he came out red. Anyways, and then there's Jacob and he came out a little bit more normal. He's got a normal amount of hair and he's a little bit just uh, more quiet. Maybe he's more introverted. It says he was a plain man that dwelled in tents. And so initially reading this, it might feel like Esau was this really hard worker who's putting food on the table and he's providing for his family. And then there's Jacob who's kind of being lazy and he's kind of conniving. And that, that's how it feels when we read it at that first take, right? But we have to understand that Isaac was very wealthy. Abraham was very wealthy. Isaac was very wealthy. And so really they could have had a steak dinner every night of the week if they wanted to. And so it turns out that Esau's really not hunting out of necessity. He's hunting for sport. He's hunting for recreation. And we could actually see that he's maybe being more irresponsible, neglecting what he should have been doing. And that's what what Jacob was doing, dwelling in tents, which is where you would have learned about divine things, about the family, about the birthright. And that is what Jacob was doing. And so Esau's really acting more like a spoiled rich kid living off the benefits of a family business. And so then one day Esau has been off hunting and we can guess that maybe it's unsuccessful. He's starving and he's just in a moment of desperation. And Jacob happens to be cooking some bean soup of all the things, bean soup, right? I don't know. That's not my thing. But he sees an opportunity, Jacob sees it, to take what he's wanted all along. And he tells Esau to sell his birthright to him. And he does. And it says, Esau despised his birthright. 
And so no matter what you might think or kind of feel about how the whole situation happens, we can see that it didn't happen contrary to what each brother wanted. Jacob wanted it from the beginning. He's grabbing Esau's heel as he's being born, and he chased after it every day until he got it. And then there's Esau, who, who really, it, maybe it sounded too boring or there was too much responsibility, but he lost sight of it. And he, he sold it for what he thought it was worth, and that's virtually nothing. And so what does this have to do with our money? What does this have to do with today and our finances today? Um, we not, might not call them birthrights and blessings, but we do have a calling to use our money and resources with purpose. We are to bless others with what God has given us as a blessing. And so um, the first thing that we need to do in order to do this well, I believe we need to value our birthright. Jacob valued the birthright, and we must value our birthright. Grandparents, if you can imagine for a moment having a family heirloom that you pass down to your grandchild, and maybe it was a, a piece of jewelry or a medal of honor, uh, whatever it was, it was maybe worth money, but to you, it's just, it's invaluable. It is absolutely priceless. There is no amount of money that would make, would make it worth being sold. And yet in a moment, your grandchild sells it for $75 because they're strapped for cash. Isn't that heartbreaking to think about? And the, the problem with that is that they didn't grasp the value. They didn't understand the weight. There was, there was history there. There was a future there. Like there is something to this birthright and we also must value ours. We should be generous with our money that God has given us because it is our responsibility and our honor. Jacob spent time learning in tents. He was learning about this birthright and how beautiful it was. He oriented his life around it. Whereas Esau, he, like I said, he lost sight of it. He was, he was doing his own thing. And so he couldn't see how valuable it truly was. He didn't see the immense honor that having that birthright would have been. Isn't it amazing that it, now we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whereas it could have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau sold his birthright for virtually nothing. And we want to be people who are willing to give everything up for ours. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If we understand that this birthright, this charge is pushing forward the kingdom of God, that we have a part to play, there is nothing worth more than that. There is nothing, no earthly possession that you can give me that's worth keeping on to as to the cost of that. I want to be about the kingdom. I don't want to care about the earthly possessions that I might have. So take my money, take my resources, whatever it is, it's about the kingdom. And you can see that Jacob's attitude was more this way towards his birthright. You kind of get the feeling he would have done anything to get it. And so first we have to value our birthright. And then 
if we do that, I think we have a better chance of doing the second one right, and that is to steward our blessings. We have to steward our blessings. To steward well means to manage something that's been given to us well. Specifically, we're talking monetary blessings now. And so in order to, to steward those monies well, I think we have to do three things. We have to remember whose it is first. Every single thing that we have comes from God. Deuteronomy 10:14 says, "Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it." Everything is God's, and if I see myself as a manager of those resources rather than the owner of those resources, those are going to have two very different outcomes, right? If I see it as my money and my house and all of those things, I'm going to grasp really hard to that. And I'm going to be um, just more likely to not want to share. But if God gave it to me to begin with, then absolutely. I'm just trying to do, be a good manager. God didn't intend for the money that he gave us to just be ours. At some point, there, some portion of that should be allotted to someone else. So first, we remember whose it is. Second, we take care of our family's needs. This is really practical. Like, this is the main reason that you have money, is to provide for your family. The double portion of the inheritance was, it was totally understood that it was given because there would be more expenses to pay for because you're caring for the family. And that's our job. We are, we are to take care of our immediate family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a really strong tone, right? But I think it makes sense because in light of what we talked about last week, it's a heart issue. If we're not willing to use the means that God has given us to provide for our family, then we're loving our money. We're serving our money as opposed to God. Now, we have to keep in mind that this is a principle, right? There's some nuances. Uh, I'm not saying that if you aren't providing every single need for your 27-year-old son who's not working, you're worse than an unbeliever, right? God has a lot to say about people who don't work. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about that next week. But we have to keep in mind the, the overarching uh, just principle here is that if we have the means, even if it's not something that we want to spend our money on, we should provide that need for our family. And then the third thing is we supply others' needs. We supply others' needs. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will multiply, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Also, just a little bit earlier in that book, 2 Corinthians 8, it says, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. 
God gives to us so that we can give. Isn't that such a beautiful example of how the body of Christ in the godly order, how it was meant to work? These are just a couple of scriptures that real, like the, it makes it really clear. The Bible makes it really clear that we are to help others in their time of need. And so what that means for us practically is that we have to live with margin. We have to live with margin or beneath our means. This idea of margin, Austin talked a couple of weeks ago. It comes from Leviticus 19.9. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so you can just imagine a field and there's, there's extra there for the poor and the sojourner to, to get as they need. And so we also have to live below our means. We have to spend less than we bring in. We should have some cushion, a little wiggle room. So that when we hear about a need from a family member or a church member, whoever it might be, we have that means to um, give that to them. This goes against every cultural message you will hear. It's your hard-earned money. You can spend it how you want. You can save it how you want. All of, these, all of the messages that we get just as a culture in America is that it's mine and I don't need to, to live at a certain level, right? So America tells us that we can actually live at 110% right? We can have credit card debt or student debt, whatever it might be. We're going to live above our means. But what's tough about this message is that it's not living at 110%. It's not living at 100% where we're just living paycheck to paycheck and everything comes in and everything goes out. And we're not say, even saying live at 90% that allows for the tithe. We're saying in order for this to happen, we're going to have to live even below that. And that's a, tough, that's a tough message for a lot of us. And it's completely countercultural. Really, what we're called to is open-handedly giving 100% access to God. I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. I don't know who he's going to want me to give it to. But it's already his, so I'm ready. But I want you to hear this as, as God gives us some principles and these orders for the way that he has meant things to work with these big ticket items in our life, like money, like marriage, like sex, all of those things, it's an opportunity for us to see how good and how right his ways are. When we orient our life and we order it, whether it makes sense or not, it's an opportunity to say, God, you've been so good. You are so faithful. When Austin and I were first married pretty early on, I know that he kind of shares the same stories, but we have basically the same life. So they're the same stories. Um, I had just had Harper and I was working as a part-time dental hygienist. He was working at MCR and uh, my work had given me 12 weeks off, and, but I had only accrued two or three weeks paid time off. And so that's a, that's a lot of time without getting paid. <laughs> and so we really prayerfully considered that. We didn't have a lot of savings at the time. And it was just like, okay, I, I think we'll go for it. And, um, you know, we will continue to tithe, but it's going to be tight. 
And I just remember we got, you know, the three weeks worth of pay. And it was like, okay, this is where it gets real. Like it's going to stop now. And then I got another paycheck. And then I got another paycheck. And I think I got two or three extra paychecks from what we had planned on and what we were told we were going to have. And it was just this really tangible moment that we took a step of faith to say, yes, we're going to keep tithing, even though we know that this money is going to be needed later. But God just he, he provided for us and we just worshiped and we were like, this is what everyone talks about. He is providing for us. And I know that there's a hundred different stories in this room of similar stories that it's, that God has provided for you as you've ordered your life the way he's meant to. And so if we want to order our life the way he has designed it, for some of us, we will have to live more simply. In order to live with margin, we'll have to live simply, more simply than we'd like to maybe. I think an interesting part of the story of Jacob and Esau is that Esau's got high highs and low lows. He was feasting on venison, the delicate meats, and he's just, he's living it up. And then he's completely in a moment of famine, just so hungry and making really bad choices. And so he's kind of all over the place, whereas Jacob is, he's steady. And no, he's, he's just eating bean soup and bread, like not anything flashy, but he's focused. He's laser focused on that birthright that he wants. He's clear-minded. Our culture loves excess, doesn't it? Get the most updated version of this. Get more of that. Change this, you know, whatever it might be. Our, our culture is sending us so many messages about what we need, and we lose sight of, of really what we need. We lose sight of what's important and, and what maybe living simply could look like. This afternoon, the Super Bowl, like you are going to see some ads telling you all the things that you should buy with the money that you don't have to impress people that you don't like, right? <laughs> and, and that is just the air that we breathe. But there is something beautiful and holy about just a focused and simple life that is not just constantly trying to get more, more, more. Just like Paul says in Philippians, learning to be content in even the little. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, this is the message translation. I loved the way it said it. A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless and will leave it penniless, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that's enough. Isn't that beautiful? It's harder maybe to, to put into practice, and yet it, it's beautiful. Some of us have to live simply in order to live with margin because there's just not that, there's not that natural margin there. But for some of us, maybe you're saying, I, I have no margin. It's just not there. I'm happy if I get my bills paid every month. That, that's a good month. I just want to challenge you with Proverbs 11:25 through 26. It says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. You may not be able to give of your financial resources at some point in your life, but you can search for other ways to supply needs to others. Maybe you're watching someone's kids. Maybe you're giving them a ride. Maybe you do give a little bit of the finances that you have. 
but you can be a blessing still. You can still supply a need. I I just want to remind you of Matthew 6 that Austin read last week. You are worth more to God than the birds. You are of more value. You are more precious than the lilies and the grass of the field. And, And so he will meet your needs. He will give you, he will water you again. And so whether it's a specific financial blessing, he promises to bless you. Maybe on the other side of things, you have more margin than what you know what to do with. Maybe you have more margin than you thought that you would have. The challenge for you is to be wealthy in good works. To be wealthy in good works. 1 Timothy 6, 18 18 through 19 says to the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You have a unique challenge to let your good works compete with your wealth. Outdo the riches that you have monetarily with the riches that you have in good works and generosity. Sometimes it feels like we're all of those margins in a lifetime. Sometimes we don't have much. Sometimes we have plenty. But wherever we are on the spectrum, our resources come with responsibility and with blessing. But just like Jacob, we have no natural right. We have no natural claim to the blessing in and of ourselves. Jacob was not the firstborn. And actually, his father Isaac wasn't the firstborn. Ishmael was. Jacob goes on to bless his 11th son and his two grandsons with the birthright. And the reason for that, I read in a commentary this week, and I just thought this quote was so good. It says, the intention behind each of these reversals was the recurring theme of God's sovereign plan of grace. The blessing was not a natural birthright as the right of a firstborn son would be. Rather, God's blessing is extended to those who have no other claim to it. They all received what they did not deserve. We know something about that, don't we? In Jesus, he has paid the debt that we could not pay. And now we also have a spiritual blessing that we did not deserve. We now have a birthright as co-heirs with Christ. And our birthright is eternal blessing. Primarily, we've received grace and love and adoption as sons and daughters. And it's something that a status that no person, no demon, nor Satan himself can take from us. Secondarily, we receive authority. Just like the son that would inherit from his father, we have inherited the authority and the the God-given right that he has empowered us with the Holy Spirit to push forward God's kingdom, to continue to do the work of the Father's will that Jesus started. And lastly, we receive heavenly rewards that don't compare, that won't compare to these earthly treasures. This is our birthright in Christ. We're going to shift to a time of communion. And as we do that, I just want to encourage you to consider this spiritual blessing or double portion. It was given to Israel in a custom, and we can see now that it has been given to us in Christ also. 
we've been adopted, we've been given authority, and we have spiritual blessings. But those are not just for us. Those are also to be used in the world around us. The grace that God has lavished on us, absolutely, it's for us to receive. But it is also for us to extend to our family and to the world around us. The forgiveness that we've received. Yes, we're reconciled to God, but that's not meant to just terminate on me. I now need to extend that forgiveness to someone else who needs it, who doesn't deserve it. And and it does apply to our finances. He's been generous to us and he's going to use us to provide for other people. We were not the firstborn son. Israel was, but God chose to graft us in. Isn't that good news this morning? And so let this time in communion fuel you as you let your heart and mind just think about the good things that God has given you, but also let it, let it stir you up. Let it stir you up to say, who else can I be generous to? Who else can I forgive? And so as you're thinking and, and contemplating on communion, you can answer this question as well and ask God, who is in your family and in your world that you have been called to bless? Would you stand with me? God, thank you so much for your generosity to us, both spiritually and financially, God. You've given us more than we needed, and we're just, we're grateful. We want to steward that well. We want to use it well, Lord. Would you just bring people to mind this week, God, that we can bless? Help us to orient our lives and order our lives the way that you've called us to, that we can do that. We love you, and it's in your name we pray.